35, so. Okay. All right, well, we'll get started. Um, before we begin, obviously, I want to make recognition of the special day. Firstly, today, Yom HaZikaron, uh, in Israel, remembering those who've uh, given their lives for, for the state of Israel. Uh, I told my students about somebody called David Applebaum, you may remember the name, um, the man who was killed in a terrorist attack the night before his daughter's wedding. Um, and he was really an unbelievable man. I knew him very well, and uh, he, was a, he, he was, the to me, the ideal combination. He was, the, he was a doctor, a great scholar, and above it all, he had a fantastic sense of humor. He, he pulled a shtick on me once, which I'll never forget, but I'm not going to go into that now. But just when I heard that news, and you feel so frustrated how he has lost... Uh, he is lost to the Jewish people. Just one example of thousands. And we think about them today. And at the same time, obviously, we also recognize the celebration of Yom Atzmud, of the, uh, the, the Israeli Independence Day, which is happening now in Israel. Um, one of the events which, uh, in, in this country, outside Israel, you're not really clued into, but it's such an amazing event they have every year a Bible competition. And the Bible competition is unbelievable. It's literally from one end of, of Tanakh to the other. It's students in high school. And when you, you hear them and they, they, they know this stuff off by heart, uh, and they, they, they have this uh, competition, occasionally there is a student from the States. I don't know what, whether this year that's true. But that's my, my niece, my niece was uh, both my niece and my nephew, Jack's niece and my nephew were in it. Um, were in it, but it's always an Israeli. Group. Always an Israeli. It's, never, it's never. usually they were like number three and number four. That's fantastic because to to yeah. to compete with the Israelis in any way on this is. Is, is a remarkable, is an amazing achievement. I, I, I get lost about question number two, <coughs> you know, out of about a hundred questions. And it is just an event. And the Prime Minister is there, and it, it, it's what they call in, in Hebrew, Chavaya, and it's real focus of Yom Atzmut celebration. Um, and the people who won that competition have gone on to very, very amazing careers in, in academia and various other places. It's, a, it's really something special. So, um, again, just to bring it, my niece bring it to your Princeton attention. She, my niece is at Princeton and she's doing um, a PhD in uh, Jewish studies. That's, so. wow, that's yeah. fantastic. And she's from Israel or she's yeah. from here? No, no, she's from Teaneck. From Teaneck, amazing, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, the possibilities are incredible today, thank God. Um, what I want to talk about this evening, which uh, I think we did, we lose, we lost one one connection here. I hope they'll come back. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the the mitzvah that we're we're in the middle of Svirta Omer, which is started, and just a thought. You know, a lot of people are upset. They're upset that we have these. Uh, what, what they may consider to be artificial days of s particularly celebration, the Amatzmod, in the middle of what is meant to be a period of, of reflection, Svirta Omer. And, you know, the very, very religious crowd does, hardly makes uh, uh, an attempt to recognize the Amatzmod, which I've always found totally beyond belief, because, you know, everyone benefits that, that without the State of Israel today, who knows what 
uh, how Jews would be in the world. I mean, it doesn't take a, a great, you know, rocket scientist to understand that. But more to the point, the, 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 to me, it's, it's so perfect that Yom Atzimot is in the sphere. And why? Because sphere is about the tragedies in Jewish history, the Crusades and Bar Kokhba and, and, and you name it, all the different events that happened during this period in Jewish history. And here we are in the year 2021, Tafshim Peyana, and we can celebrate the existence of the birth, the birth and the existence of the State of Israel. Meaning that we, that thank God, at least we are now learning those lessons of history. We had a tremendous, uh, uh, unbelievable, in the 20th century, a, a situation which, uh, uh, please God, will never, ever, ever happen again, never again, as they say, but at least we're learning the fact that without our own country, without our own army, without literally fending for ourselves, we, ho- we hope, with God's help, that, you know, nobody is going to look out for us. And, and just now, again, I'm listening to all the stuff going on with Iran, and with, the, um, you know, they're claiming that they're doing their, their nuclear program, to increase nuclear power and whatever, but we know, I mean, they've said what, what their intentions are. And there's no shortage of examples of people who want to end the existence of Israel, and that's why we have to fight, we have to support it, and please God, I'm praying that we can get there very, very soon to visit, maybe even to live one day, let's hope that uh, we all have that particular merit, because it's too precious. It's something that we just cannot sit around and take for granted. It's, 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 to me, it's just beyond belief that people just don't feel that way about Israel. And it's not perfect. We know it's not perfect. Now, what is perfect in life? But it's a place where a Jew can go and feel wanted and respected and everything else. You, okay, you're, you're living with a lot of people who are very argumentative. Jews are very argumentative. We know that. But the reality of it is, is that it's a Jewish country. And that is very, very special. And I, uh, you know, I feel, I just wanted to say that, that, that Davka now, the time of Svira, it's a great thing to have a reminder that because of all the troubles that we're thinking about and the history that we have today, the beginning of the salvation, the beginning of the Geula, Reshitz Michad Gulatenu with the State of Israel. Uh, I can't say it clearer than that. And uh, um, I just hope that this is a day that registers. Uh, to me, the, the, the wonderful memory I have is uh, um, the old days when we lived there in the 80s, we lived in Israel, um, the highway in Yom Atzmud, the, the Tel Avivis were going up to Jerusalem, Jerusalemites were going down to Tel Aviv. It was like uh, chaos, right? You know, the people just were driving in opposite directions. Because uh, the, the rule is you've got to go out for a picnic on Yom Atzmud. I hope the weather's warm enough this year. It's a little bit early in the season, but whatever. It's one of those days which really is special, and it's a, it's a day of celebration. It's a day for Halal, it's a day for thinking about why the state of Israel is really, really important. So, as a segue into the Shi'ur, we're going to talk a little bit about Svirata Omer. Because we're in this midst of Svirata Omer, and we have to ask the most basic question. Let me show you this on the screen. Uh, the, the, everyone knows this Pasuk, or these Pasukim. Okay, and a whole bunch of stuff over here. We say it, when you count the Omer, when you start counting, it says, Svartem Lachem Machrata Shabbat, count for yourselves the day after Shabbat. That's a strange word to use. I thought it was Pesach. Right? From the day when you bring this Omer, this, this sacrifice. The Omer was a sacrifice. 
which has tenufa, which has to be waved around by the priest, then you count sheva shabbatot tmimot tiyena. Seven, now tmimot normally means pure. Tamin, someone who is pure. It, it's normally, it's translated as complete, as he says in the English translation. But what is tmimot? What, what does that word really mean? Right? If it's seven complete weeks, it could have just said sheva shabbatot, seven weeks. Why would I have thought it's not complete? doesn't make sense. To add the word tmimot has obviously got a message. And then it says, then it says, a pure, innocent, it's got, it's got a deeper message than just saying that we've got a complete seven weeks. We could have, we could have known that without the word tmimot. And certainly the word Shabbat, which we know refers to Pesach, that begs the question, if it's Pesach, then say so. Why does the Torah call it Shabbat? Shabbat, we know, is every, from Friday night through Saturday night. And Pesach, like this year, was, first day was Saturday night through Sunday night, right? And some years, it, all different days of the week. So, this is really, really strange. The, the formulation of the mitzvah, the whole mitzvah, is based on this sacrifice, which nowadays doesn't exist. The Omer, we don't do the Omer today. We don't bring this up. We haven't got a temple. So, we're counting days from the bringing of a sacrifice, which we don't do. So what, what is the, what's going on? We're making a count of the days from a sacrifice that is not brought. It's, it's the day after Shabbat, which we know really is Pesach, right? Which, why call it Shabbat? And why say to me more, why call it to me more pure or complete, when we would have known it's complete without the word to me more? Right, the whole concept, the whole, the whole uh, build-up of this of this mitzvah is very, very strange, and it gives us uh, um, a, a command at the end. You've got to wait till the end of the seven weeks. Go to the fiftieth day. And there's a new sacrifice to God. And again. We look in the in the in the Torah. What is what is the sacrifice? It's a sacrifice of flour. On Shavuot they brought fine flour. Now, if we look at the at the Omer, what was the Omer consisting of? And I haven't brought the verse in front of you, but you go back one or two verses, you'll see the Omer was barley. Right? Good for children, I suspect, but that's about it. Barley is considered to be lower grade. Right? So we start off with a very low-grade sacrifice on Pesach, barley, they are, which is brought in the temple. And then later on, on Shavuot, we go for a very high-grade, uh, uh, fine flour sacrifice. So that also begs the question, why does the sacrifice at the beginning start off so, so um, cheap, if that's the word to use, and then become so refined when, it, when we get to Shavuot? All of this is... It's not right because we count the Omer. We, uh, we're starting from the 49th level, the lowest level, and we're refining our character ah. so we get to Shavuot. Correct, correct. That's absolutely what we have to say, but I'm going to say it in a way which I think will answer all of these I'm going to sh- very Chabad thought, isn't it? Uh, we're going to get not so Chabad. We're actually going to get quite, almost Kabbalistic. Well, I suppose Kabbalistic and Chabad does go together. Um, I, I gave this shiur, which, which I'm saying over to you now, about 30 years ago in front of a whole group of rabbis. Uh, I was invited to speak at a rabbi convention, and I thought, 
let's give them something about the omer. And you know, there was some 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 gasps in the audience. They, I don't think they'd heard this idea before. It was I found it from a rabbi called Rabbi Sorotskin. Rabbi Sorotskin, there's a family in Cleveland. The Sorotskin family are connected with the yeshiva in Cleveland. The Tells yeshiva, very well known. But the father, or the grandfather of the family, lived in Israel. Zalman Sorotskin. He came from the town of Lutsk in Poland. He was known as the Lutskarov. That was his title. And he was an orator, and he, he really was someone very unique. Very, very interesting person. And I read his stuff, and I find it very inspiring. And I hope to share just this thought with you in honor of the counting of the Omer, and essentially in honor of what we're going through towards Shavuot, Yom Asvot, etc., as I mentioned before. The, the, just I want to bring on the page in front of you um, one comment about this question of Maharata Shabbat. Many of you will know that this, was, this phrase was a, was a focus of a fantastic fight in the second century or the first century of the Common Era. Now, you know, we don't normally pe- find people fighting over the Bible. But it turns out that this really caused a fantastic rift in the Jewish community. What happened was that the Rabbinites, the people following the oral tradition, said, Mokhrat Shabbat means Pesach. We'd start counting the Omer, the second day of Pesach. Along came, and you'll see here, in the, I've, I've brought this Gemara. It's a, I'm not going to go through this whole thing because it's way too much. It's Gemara found in Menachot, page 65 and 66. And there the Gemara brings a whole discussion from the Boethusians. Now, who are the Boethusians, for goodness sake? If you, if you started looking at Pirkei Avot, like we do from Pesach through the summer, you'll see that there were two people mentioned uh, uh, who were... Um, uh, people who were told historically they did not accept the oral tradition. And one of them was the students of someone called Baitut, or Baitus, I think his name was, uh, Boethia, uh, whatever, however you pronounce his name. His students accepted the written Torah, but not the oral Torah. And that's a, together with a much more well-known group known as the Sadducees, the Tzidukit. Now, what happened was that the discussion was about this phrase, Mokrat HaShabbat, along come the Boethusians and the, and the Sadducees and say, Mokrat HaShabbat, the day after Shabbos, you start counting the Omer on a Sunday, always on a Sunday. Not like that song from 1960, never on a Sunday. It was always on a Sunday, if you remember what I'm referring to. The reality of it is, is that the, the, the tradition was, without rabbinic... Uh, approval is that the word Shabbat was to be taken literally as meaning Shabbat, Shabbos. So you always start counting the Omer on a Sunday. That means Shavuot would always be seven weeks away on a Sunday. Right? Now that would be nice and convenient if you always had Shavuot on a Sunday from the point of view of work. Certainly in Israel, right? Where it's only one day. The, the problem is that it doesn't mean that. We know that Shabbos here means Pesach. And you'll see here in this discussion, the, the, there's a wonderful thing that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh, one of the famous rabbis, the, the, one of the great rabbis around the time of destruction of the temple, he had a whole discussion with these Boethusians. And he met one of the guys and he said, Fools, from where have you derived this? Where do you say that Shabbat here means Saturday? How, why do you say that? And there was no man who answered him. Nobody could give him an answer. Except for one elderly guy who was prattling at him, whatever to prattle means, I suppose, whatever. He was sort of mumbling. And he said, 
And look at his logic. He said Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people. Nobody disagrees with that. And he knew that Shavuot is only one day. In Israel, it's one day. So he arose and established it after Shabbat, meaning Shavuot was always going to be on a Sunday. Because then, you know what it's going to be? A two-day weekend. It'll be Saturday, Shabbos, and Sunday, Shavuos. So Moshe wanted to do the Jewish people a favor by always starting to count the Omer, Mechorat Shabbat always on a Sunday. From Sunday to Sunday. That was his logic. And of course, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said to him, that's ridiculous. Right? He, he, he basically uh, wiped the floor with him. He said, uh, and he, asked, he, he said a great answer. He said, if Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people, why did he delay them in the wilderness for 40 years? In other words, you're giving me logic about Moses having a, um, a desire to have everybody have a two-day weekend. And the reality was, what about the 40 years in the desert? In other words, it's got nothing to do with what Moses wanted. This is all coming from God. And that's the end of the story. Right? And the elderly man was offended. He says, my teacher dismissed me with this retort. Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai said to him, you fool, our perfect Torah, should, will our perfect Torah not be as worthy as your frivolous speech? In other words, what you just said was absolutely ridiculous. That why would Shavuot have to be on a Sunday? You want to argue to give everybody a two-day weekend. It's, it, there's, there's no sense of spiritual content in such an idea. Um, and therefore he, he rejects and I, sh- I just show you, I'll go down the path I'm not going to go through all of this but this is. Put, I just put it on uh, from um, the sources how many different arguments there were going on about this Shabbat being Pesach alright, and that's the verse that we say every time we count the Omer, Mokhrata Shabbat Shabbat there means Pesach what is so strange and just as a sort of sub-question of what we asked at the beginning is that the Gemara here doesn't in any way, explain why Pesach is called Shabbat. In the end of the day, if it's Pesach, then the Torah should say Pesach. If it's Shabbos, it says Shabbos. Why call Pesach Shabbat? It's a strange thing to do. So look at the questions, and I'll just revise the questions that we've asked. The question still stands, why is Pesach called Shabbat in the verse? And what does it mean to Mimot, which is another question we ask. And then the, the sacrifice goes from barley to fine flour. And what are we, and I can add the question of why are we counting from a non-existent mitzvah, the bringing of the Omer, which we don't do anymore, and we start counting the days, it's strange that we're doing a mitzvah based on an event which doesn't happen anymore. And even stranger is that their opinions, for instance, the Rambam holds, Maimonides said, the counting of the Omer is, is biblical. So what's going, you know, what's the basis for him to say such a thing? It's so, so strange. So, these are the questions I want to deal with very briefly and share with you this thought. And as always... And, and well, can you just explain um, the third question? So, the, the, the question is, why are we counting the Omer today when it's not relevant? Yeah, yeah. The, it, if it's to do with the mitzvah of bringing the sacrifice in the temple, because we do it the day after that, when they brought the sacrifice, or rather the day that they bring, they brought the sacrifice the first day, and that became the first day of what we call the counting of the omen. But if one thing depends on the other, and we don't have the sacrifice today, then why do we do a mitzvah depending on something which doesn't exist? It doesn't, we don't, we don't do it. There's nowhere in Israel today that has an Omer sacrifice. You can't do it because we haven't got a temple. So it's strange that the mitzvah is, is, is put in a framework of depending on 
an event which doesn't happen. And I don't know if you thought about that, but it's, it's just the weirdest thing. This whole process of what we do with the counting of the Omer needs a little bit of analysis, needs a little bit of explanation. Um, let's go, I, I want to show you this, because uh, I've got this written out, and again, if anyone wants this, I can sure, um, gladly send it on to you. I wrote this out many, many moons ago. And these are the questions, again, which, which we're asking. Uh, we've just finished the mitzvah of the Seder, we have Svirata Omer. And the Rambam says it's Doraitis, it's based on the Torah law. Some say it's rabbinical, fine. There's a problem. We're counting the days from a non-existent sacrifice which is not brought to them. We must ask, why do we have to do this? The act of counting is totally mysterious and requires explanation. If it was, you know, if we, if we just said it was Svira and not called it Svirata Omer, I suppose that would be better. But Svirata Omer seems to have something to do with the Omer, but we don't have an Omer today. So what are we doing? And then, of but course... Don't we, do, but don't we also not sacrifice and still pray and, and do the Tfilot of Mustaf, even though we don't pray? That's true. We, don't, we, we do have those, um, uh, let's use the word, uh, memorials, right? Those, uh, to remind us of those particular events. But there's no question about it that the, here, the counting of the Omer, the whole counting is, is because of the omen. It's not that we're doing it as a memorial. It seems to be that we're doing it because there is a mitzvah of omen. Right? Otherwise it wouldn't be called Svirat HaOmer. But we don't have a mitzvah of omen. I agree with you. We don't, we don't do the, 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 the sacrifice of Musab, so we make a remembrance. Right? So, like we do on the Haggadah, Zechel Mikdash. We do it to remind us of what we did once upon a time. But with the Omer, that's strange that the whole counting seems to depend. Right? It's not just a, a memorial. It's a, it's a mitzvah according to the Torah, according to the Rambam. In which case, it's, it's, it's something which is not doing, we're doing as a memorial. It's a, it's a bona fide mitzvah, like putting on tefillin and like keeping Shabbat and everything else. But what is, what's the underlying, you know, basis of this mitzvah? I'm trying to get this question across because it, it really is intriguing. What are we doing when we count the Omer? Yaffa, are, are, you, are you okay with that or is it still... No, I mean, uh, it's a question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hear your comment. I'd like and, to know. Yeah, I hear your comment. No, I hear your, your, your question was a good question. Um, we asked about the sacrifice was barley, then it becomes uh, uh, refined. In fact, the only other barley sacrifice is the woman called a sota, a suspected adulteress. That's really weird. Why do we do the omen sacrifice from the same um, a grain, barley, that a woman who is a suspected adulteress brings her sacrifice to the temple? That's a strange connection, right? The woman who's a suspected adulteress is not necessarily the role model for basing the mitzvah of the sacrifice of Omer. What, what is the deeper connection? And the third yeah. thing... Yeah. Sorry, did I hear an... Uh, we... Hang on. Sorry. There I am. Yes. We as the Jewish people were kind of adulterous with Hashem. Ah. Uh, you're, you're on fire this evening. That's, that's wonderful. Right? There is a theme. There is a theme. I'm not going to go into that direction, because that's an interesting direction to go into. I'm going to give another theme, but we'll see. We're not that far apart. All right? So, very, this is great. No, I, and I'm not going to lose my reputation. I, believe me, I, I, just, I don't normally delve into this, but this was so gorgeous. What, 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 what the, the point of what we're going to learn, I just had to share it with you. Um, I love it. We're enjoying it. 
and and we've got obviously the question about Shabbat. Why is the Shabbat called called the uh, wise place are called Shabbat? The Pharisees, the rabbis, and the Sadducees, the people who didn't accept the rabbis, had the argument. And then why is he called Timimon? So with these questions, the answer to the to the questions is by asking another question. Very Jewish. What do we? How do we answer these questions? And this is something which, to me, is one of the great, great mysteries, but, thank God, one of the blessings of the holiday of Pesach. We're having a discussion over the, over the Chag this year about whether Pesach now has overtaken Rosh Hashanah as being the festival that Jews still hang on to. Right? There are many Jews who don't hang on to much of Judaism, but Pesach, they do. They really do hang on. Look at the people buying Pesach stuff in stores, you know, in and around, wherever you go. And you, you realize that, you know, that's still, that's still an issue. I mean, in Israel, it's, it, the statistic is, is mind-blowing. They say 95%. I'm still worried about the other 5%, but 95% of people go to a Seder in Israel. It's quite extraordinary. And I don't know if that's the case, Rosh Hashanah in Israel, that you get 95% of Jews attending shul. I don't think you do. And even Yom Kippur. So Pesach has got a tremendous pull, has got a tremendous attraction. And it brings people, keeps them Jewish, it keeps them connected. And the question is why? What is it about Pesach which makes it so special? And I don't know sometimes if people even realize it. I remember teaching in high school, we've got, the kids were reading a book called The Devil's Arithmetic. It's a story about a girl who goes to a Pesach Seder very unwillingly, right? And during the Seder, she falls asleep and she's told by her great, uh, her grandmother, whose Seder it is, that she was named after the grandmother's sister who was killed in the concentration camp. And the girl sleeps and they open the door of Elijah and in her imagination, she's become the relative back in Poland. And she goes through the, and to the point where by the end of the evening, she wakes up again, and it's as if her whole life has changed. She understands 100% at the end, something that she didn't understand at the beginning, of what she's doing at the Pesach Seder. She's connecting with the previous generation, generations, plural, and it's a beautiful story. It really, it's, it's available, I think it's even on DVD or whatever. It's, it's a very, very interesting uh, presentation. Um, what happens on Pesach? And Rabbi Sorosky wanted to make the following suggestion. He said that Pesach is an amazing event. <coughs> Let me show you here what he says. <coughs> when the Jews were in Egypt, they had sunk down, as we heard before, to the level, the 49th level of what is called Tumah, uh, impurity. So to bring them out of Egypt literally required an incredible miracle. There's no other way to describe it. And, and again, as I said over here, the diehards will want to stay behind. If they're being told, you're leaving, and there are people there who are, as we say, more Egyptian than the Egyptians, and many Jews were assimilated, they weren't all slaves. I mean, that's a whole story for another time. They, the reality was, to get those people out of Egypt was an incredibly difficult thing to do. And we know that the night of Pesach, it says, God came down, Anivalo Malach, Anivalo Saraf. We emphasize this, that God, Bichvodo Uva Atzmo, God by Himself. Right? And what's the, what's the point of this emphasis? So the suggestion is that when Hashem came into Egypt, 
and what we call the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, came into Egypt, it descended upon Egypt and had two effects. Effect number one is that the Egyptians couldn't stand it. The Egyptians, the, their society was absolutely enveloped in impurity from beginning to end. The, they had to get the Jews out because they, 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 they just, you know, it's like the flesh was crawling, not, apart from the, the, the Makkah Bechorot. They just couldn't handle God being in their country, in their presence. But of course, on the flip side, for the Jews, it was an incredible elevation. Because all of a sudden, what came down from heaven, from Shemayim, is the presence of God, the Shekhinah. And that is something which comes from a pure place, whatever that means. We don't know what it means. We, don't, we, 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 we think about it. We make a recollection every Pesach. But what it actually means when the Jews ex- <coughs> excuse me, ex- <coughs> when they experienced it, is something which is very hard to explain what exactly they experienced. <coughs> but they had an elevation. <coughs> they were taken up. Now, think about this for a second. I'm just going to try and <coughs> stop choking here. It's allergy season, I apologize. <coughs> Drink some water. There we go. I'll be good. If we take it <coughs> a stage further, and understand that this is what happened in Egypt. I'm just thinking where the source of my allergy is coming from. I can't see. <clears throat> if this is the source of what happened in Egypt, that there was this divine presence in Egypt, that by definition would elevate everybody to a high level. It was like a, taking the elevator to the Empire State Building from the ground to the top in one shot. It took you up into a whole different world, and people who were not necessarily willing to leave just couldn't couldn't say no. The Jews left en masse. In fact, there's even a Midrash that those who were real diehards died in Egypt. They just weren't going to stay in Egypt. There's no Jewish presence left once the uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim takes place. But what how do you describe that descending of the divine presence? Says Rabbi Sorotskin, we have an d- expression which we use for this uh, concept of divine presence, Yom Shekulo Shabbat. It's described as a day, the world to come. It's a day which is all Shabbos. And that use of the term Shabbat is not that the day is always going to be Saturday. What it means is that the day has a holiness, a, a, a presence of God, which we just don't understand. The world to come, the Kedushah, the Olam Haba, Gan Eden, all of these concepts are just beyond our understanding. But in Egypt, for one night, the Jews experienced it. And they picked themselves up, and they went. But the problem was, it was one night. Come back the next day, and they're on the road, and they're out of Egypt, and all of a sudden the divine presence is not with them the way it was in Egypt. They finished the sacrifice and they did all, all the things with the blood and everything else. And they're now walking through the desert and they've, they've fallen down again. They've come down with a bump. And they're saying to themselves, walking through the desert, what am I doing here? How am I now in the desert out here? What, what happened? Right? We were, we were 
elevate, we've had this incredible experience in Egypt, we, we perceive God, as if we could see God direct, and now we're out, and we've come down again. We've come down with a bump. And of course, this is essentially, not to be uh, minimized, this is what happened to them, I'll just show you here the next page, this is what happened um, uh, after, the, after the going out of Egypt. And what happens, says Rabbi Sorosky, every year on Pesach, is that that experience, a sort of remnant of the divine presence, is an echo in history which every Jew experiences. He, he gives it that sort of twist. It's, it's just something, he try again, answering the question, why are Jews so connected to Pesach? There has to be, and again, is it tradition? Of course. Is it what you used to do as a kid, of course, but for, for a whole new generation, those, those, those reasons are not so valid. But there is a call, there is a sense that this is a special moment in the year. And Pesach, essentially, as with all the Chagim, there the call, the echo from what happened in the past is still coming through every Pesach to us to this very day. And that's his explanation why Jews are still connected to Pesach. They, are, they, they, they can't even verbalize it, but they're experiencing that, let's say, historical call that existed once upon a time and comes through every year on the holiday of Pesach. That sense of freedom, that sense of history, that sense of connection. Now, what happened the day after Pesach is that we went right down. We, we, we fell down with a bump. And of course, what happens then is that we have to start raising ourselves up again. Because we know that we are going within a very short period of time to receive the Torah. In order to receive the Torah, what do we have to do? We have to go back stage by stage to get to that level where we can stand in front of God on Mount Sinai. And we're in front of the Shekhinah. We are in front of the Divine Presence all over again. But as opposed to Pesach, where it all happened in one shot, we cannot do this in the desert in the same way. It's got to go stage by stage. That's the omen. We stand and count ourselves stage by stage by stage every day. It's like the Lahavdil, it's a horrible comparison, the guy in jail who is writing lines on the, on the wall. Another day in jail has gone past. Another day and another day. And another. It, it's, it's bringing him closer to the end of his jail sentence. And he's, he's scratching on the wall to show, that, to show that that's the case. We count every single day and we make a, 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 a whole ceremony. Because that ceremony, what is it doing? It is bringing us up, count, bringing us back to where we were at the moment when we left Egypt. That was the original counting of the Omer. The counting of the Omer was to bring us back to that level through those seven weeks through which we would raise our spirituality from a very low level to a very high level to receive the Torah. Think, think about this because we've answered every question that we raised. And this is why it's so precious. You say to me, how does that work? Let's just think about the questions that we asked. First, the counting of the Omer from a non-existent sacrifice. doesn't matter, because it's not about the sacrifice, it's about the elevation. Right? The fact that we don't have an Omer sacrifice is, I would say, what we, what we would say, a, a, a detail, but not the focus. It's not the big picture of the whole thing. The big picture of the whole thing is elevation. 
raising ourselves up day by day by day. Eventually we raise ourselves up, we count a week, then we count two weeks. We do it by week and then days. And It's, it's just recognizing that we're going up and up and up. Think about what we said. What was question number two? Let me go back to the questions. I'll show you. This is, this is unbelievable. Um, Why the Tnimut? We'll come to that in a second. The question of the two sacrifices. We start off with barley, like the, like the adulteress, because we've come down with a bump. We're in a situation which, unfortunately, that poor lady is in a similar situation where She's either guilty or she's innocent, but she's in a very difficult situation, and she brings a very, very low-grade sacrifice of barley. That's why we do that sacrifice of barley, symbolically, to show that the day after we left Egypt, we went right down again. But of course, what are we aiming to achieve? To get to a sacrifice of fine flour, shavuos. Because that fine flour represents the elevation coming back to experience the presence of God. Look at number three, the question, the, sorry, question number four. Moharat HaShabbat. This blew my mind when I read this. He said, why is Pesach called Shabbos? The answer is because it's not to do with what we technically call Shabbos every seven days. It's to do with the existence of the Divine Presence, which is called Yom Shekulo Shabbat. We say it in the benching every, every time we bench on Shabbat. Yom Shekulo Shabbat Umenucha Lechayolomim. It's the day referring to the Shekhinah is represented by a day which we call Shabbos. It's not that it's Saturday, but it's the representation of God's presence. So when do we start counting Yom? Macharat, the day after Shabbat. Not Sunday. Day, Shabbat there means the day after we experience Shabbat, the presence of God. We had that divine revelation. And the rest of the Omer, we spend our time trying to go up from one level to the next to get back to that, that high level. And then we've got the answer to Tzmimon. We need the word Tzmimon because the Omer, and this is what we heard at the beginning, this is why it ties in so beautifully with what was said at the beginning. Tzmimot is an expression not of complete weeks, but of complete people. We want to achieve a level of completion. We want to become complete enough that when we get to Shavuot, we are able, we are complete, gone back to that highest level that we can achieve to receive the Torah from God all over again. But that takes a whole seven weeks. It takes time to build up day by day by day, stage by stage. But Tzmimod is not about the weeks. It's about the effect that it should have on us. It should make us Tamim, Tzmimim, make us more uh, to try and perfect ourselves as much as we can to achieve that level where we can receive the Torah from God. If we put all of this together, then the whole Sviata Omer takes on a whole different different uh, um, ideal, a whole different concept. My Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Guvitz in, in England, always spoke about the 48 ways of uh, um, um, what is called Kinyanei Torah. We're going to read Pirkei Avot, chapter 6. You can have a look at it there. I didn't bring it on the screen. And it says that there are 48 ways to acquire Torah. Rabbi Guvitz said he heard from his Rebbe's, this goes back to Rabbi Yisrael Salant, a very Musa uh, concept that the 48 
ways are to be learned and studied during the Omer period. Because it represents 48 days of trying to make yourself ready to acquire the Torah. Kinyanei Torah, that's what it's called. The 49th day, says Rabbi Gurus, which is what I like, typical Lithuanian, he said, wait a minute, there's a 49th day. He says that you have to review. You can't just do it and then do it once and then forget about it. You've got to review. So the 49th day, you go over all of the material that you studied for the last 48 days. I love that. That's that's very Lithuanian approach. Is that why you stay up all night on Shavuos? And all night on Shavuos, again, to experience, right? To relive that coming together with God all over again. And what's the way that we do it? By studying Torah. Because that's what we receive. That's the, that's the message that, that, that we send. And, you know, everything about it is it's just remarkable, this. And what I think the message for me, which was so encouraging, now we'll, we'll talk about Yom HaTzmud again. Yom HaTzmud is the day when we remember the beginning, and please God, more every year should, should move forward, the beginning of the salvation of the Jewish people after the tragedy, the the horrendous tragedy that we went through. And talk about the, the Jewish history, the tragedy after tragedy that we went through. Um, and again, we ask, I get asked myself the question, for people who are so entrenched in the diaspora, what's it going to take to get us to go back to Israel? You know, practically speaking, and I'm talking, this is a good Zionist pitch, but I have to say it. We're very comfortable here, thank God. And Jews have never had it so good in America, in England, wherever we live. All right, anti-Semitism is never going to go away, but you can't say that anything today compares to what the Jew went through, certainly in pre-war Germany or any place like that. And we ask ourselves the basic question, and I, I ask it particularly of the very religious um, crowd who don't recognize the state of Israel, what is it going to take to get everyone to return to Israel, Mashiach? Is this just a dream or is it a reality? The answer is that we, in every year that the state of Israel is growing and expanding, it's like Sefirot HaOmer, we're going stage by stage by stage, building up to the point where one day there will be a revelation, the day of Elijah, the great day we read about on Shabbat HaGadol, Yom HaGadol Manorah, Elijah comes and says, Jews, come home! And Jews will come home from the whole world. And even Jews who don't realize it, the, the, you know, I, I, I'm so sort of down about the numbers of assimilation and all these things that we hear in America and in Europe and everywhere else, but there's a hope because even the Jew, like the Jews in Egypt, the ones who didn't, didn't know, but they, they went, they got on the bandwagon because they realized this is the moment of connection to God. And we hope that this is the process which we're going through year by year as Israel gets stronger and stronger and the state of Israel becomes this light to the nations. Why does it have to be a light to the nations? Not just that they should see us, but the Jews out there should see Israel as well. That light, the beacon of light, the lighthouse on the shore, it's for all the ships. It's for everyone so that they don't get onto the rocks and, and drown. And that is a beacon, not just for, 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 for the Amim, for the, for the non-Jews, to show them that, you know, we've got something to show them in the world, but it's for Jews out there who may be so assimilated, so, so connected, uh, in, you know, into the non-Jewish world that they're in, that they need a beacon of light to bring them back, to show them at least 
come to Israel, come and have a look, come and experience it, come and see what the fuss is all about. And if that is what the Omer can, can do, and what Svirata Omer can do, and that is what I believe the celebration that of Yom Atzimut, why it comes at this time of year, is so precious, then we are living truly, truly in Messianic times. We can't avoid this idea that, and I, I'll say this, and I say it all the time, um, you know, my wife is sitting next door and she knows this, that I believe this with my whole heart, that every day in Israel is a nace, it's a miracle. It's, it's such a nace, and I tell my students, I said there should be a new blessing every morning, I probably said this to this group as well, Baruch Hashem, we should say to God, thank you Hashem that you've given us Medina Israel, the state of Israel. Because without the state of Israel today, where would we be as Jews in the world? Go back a hundred years and see what my grandparents had to deal with in Russia when they were running away from the Cossacks. And my grandmother told me stories. I still remember her stories of what she had to go through as a kid. And I say to myself today, I look at those soldiers in Israel and I say, Kol HaKavon. Thank God that we're experiencing it, that we can see it, and that we're proud of these people. You know, I'm going to start crying in a minute because this is really emotional. But the bottom line of this is, is that what we are experiencing, and I really believe this, is the Shekhinah is coming back to us again. And let's hope and pray that we'll be inspired through Svirata Omer to understand what the Omer process really is in terms of personal development and ideally in terms of development of the world. And when that light really shines, and it's going to shine, I believe, very soon, we will respond in whatever way we can. May not get on the plane immediately. We'll need to settle up over here. We'll need to do our stuff. But you know what? It's Higiyazman. The time seems to be going towards that moment. You know, every day, every year on Yom Atzimot, they tell you how many Jews are living in Israel. And it's over 7 million by now. And that's a fantastic... In fact, the majority of Jews in the world, another, another a couple of years, will be living in Israel without question. Right? Till now, it was always majority living in, in the United States or um, together with Russian Jews. But now, all of that is changing. And that is the uplifting message of Yom Atzimut, and I believe of Svirat HaOmer. It's time to... You know, think about the future and focus on that. Please God, that beautiful event, which is literally around the corner. Um, all right, I'll, I got to be carried away. I apologize. <laughs> um, beautiful message, Rabbi. Thank you. I, I, I hope it's not too heavy. I I wanted to get across just that that beautiful, particularly that idea of Shabbat. That it's not Shabbos, but it's the presence of God represented by Shabbat. And that, that to me, is what the message is. It's seeing God at that time and then bringing it about all over again, which I hope, please God, we will do very soon. Uh, any comments? Uh, any questions? Yeah. Yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi. Sure, hi. Uh, so two things. One is about Shabbat. Um, I think it's since they say that we get an extra soul on Shabbat yeah. and taste of the world to come, to me that's part of it all also. Correct, correct, correct. And, and I always heard that only 20% of the Jews left Egypt. At that, again, I... I don't want to get into that midrash because I have a real problem with that midrash. Because okay. if I tell you what, I tell you what my problem is. Being very practical, 
is that if you say 20% lev, 80%, according to that Midrash, died. If you put a number on it, it's in three days, literally the beginning of the ex of the Yisiat Mitzrayim, in three days, 8 million Jews died. Now that, think about that, it's horrendous. It is truly horrendous. Because we, we lived through a Holocaust, and in six years, the, the Rishoim, the evil men, look what they achieved. But in three days... That would be too difficult to contemplate. So what I feel is that maybe died in a spiritual sense. Obviously there were people who stayed behind in Egypt and they'd lost that connection. But whoever it was, they picked themselves up and came. Not only did the Jews leave, even a whole bunch of Egyptians went with as well. Because they saw it was good. You know, it was a good deal. As you say, they jumped on the bandwagon, literally. So it was a good deal for them as well. And... Also, the mixed multitude. Mixed multitude. That's the mixed multitude. That's that's it. The yeah. Egyptians and everybody else who wanted to, I suppose, cash in is probably not the, the word. Erev, I mean. The Erev Rav. Erev Rav. Erev Rav. Yeah. yeah. But, they, but they did not make it to Israel. Well, that's a, that's not clear. No, they started the trouble with the golden calf. They studied the problem, and there's a whole there's a lot to say about the Erev. That, that's a share for another time. Who they are, what they became, where they went. Are they still with us? There's a lot of a lot of speculation in that whole so, area. Can I ask you, what are all the laws of Sira? They're not the the rights, the obvious. No, so, no. A lot of so, this. So, so you know, like they say, you can't get married, but I got an invitation for April eighth. So yeah. That was after Pesach. Correct. From a very religious cousin. Before That's. Yaffa, that's, 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 next, that's next year's shear because that's a whole discussion. I don't really... I'll tell you what the issue is. I, and this is Rabbi Feinstein wrote about this. He had in America, after the Holocaust, at least five or six different traditions that all came together to live in New York. People came from Hungary, had one tradition about... Because it's a 33-day period of mourning. Nothing to do with what I've been speaking about, by the way. This is something separate. Well, I suppose you can say this is the historical element. Uh (coughs) And those 33 days, how they... It's part of the Omer, but how they divvied up is a big debate. In other words, what happened in those 33 days? The students of Rabbi Akiva died. So did they die in one extended 33-day period from day one of the Omer to day 33, Lagvoma? The Sepharadim actually argued that it was actually day 34, which is when they stopped dying. Other rabbis came along and said, no, it's actually there was a break because Rosh Chodesh was a, was a celebration. And we believed that that would not be a day that people would be dying en masse like that. So it, it, they started, they stopped, and they started again. So they continued those 33 days from a different point to a different point. What Rav Feinstein said, everybody agrees that there is a small period from Rosh Chodesh Iyar through Lag Ba'omer which people should not make weddings. But before Rosh Chodesh, where some people haven't started the 33 days of recognizing what happened to Rabbi Kiva's students, because they only start recognizing it from Rosh Chodesh, because Nisan is meant to be a happy month. So they don't recognize it then. So you have weddings right up to Rosh Chodesh, even to the second day Rosh Chodesh, which is interesting. And then you've got at the other end, you've got the three day, the six days before Shavuos, where everybody agrees that's, that's uh, wedding season if you want to make a wedding like that. And in the end of the day, between those two 
bookends, as it were, they're all different customs, sort of, it's a melting pot. So what Rufeinstein said is that basically in, in New York, in London it's different, in New York, no weddings from Rosh Chodesh till Lag Ba'omer, that, that kind of two and a half, three week period. After Lag Ba'omer, preferably not, because you still should be keeping the, the end of the 33 day mourning period, according to that one of those traditions, from Rosh Chodesh till essentially till after the beginning of Sivan. And because all the different traditions overlap, some early, some late, what he said was, let's take the middle ground and make the middle ground forbidden. No weddings, etc. But for, for, for um, before Rosh Chodesh and after Lag Ba'omer, he was much more lenient. And that's why you'll get invitations for a wedding before Rosh Chodesh, before two days ago, and after Lag Ba'omer, which is in approximately two weeks' time. That's Bekitza Bekitza, the whole story, because Ruf Feinstein really was a was, was very practical rabbi. He knew New York needs to create a new, a new tradition. Because if you start worrying about the tradition in Munkac and the tradition in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Morocco and the tradition in, in uh, you name it, every city that is represented by Jews in America, right, then you just won't know where, where you are. So Rabbi Feinstein was very, very interesting about that. He sort of created a whole new concept of that, that no-go area where you don't have wedding. Um, and the other question is, Yom Hatzma'ut, I still can't understand why it's, uh, you, 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 you say Hallel, but without a bracha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As I said, that's it's next like, year. Next year, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happens is, is that it's a very, very Talmudic debate whether Hallel is to be added. In other words, because we have a fixed number of days when we have Hallel with a bracha, the rabbis were saying, well, what do we do when we want to add another day? Right? So they're conflicted. So you know what? We do it, but don't say a bracha. It's like a compromise. But Rabbi Goran, for instance, chief rabbi in Israel for many years, said, you say with a bracha. What's the point of saying halal if you don't do it with a bracha? Because it's, I not, agree. it's just to heal him. You might as well say to heal him from Aleph to, to, to Yud, you know, which is all well and good, don't get me wrong, but halal has got a special meaning. So, you know, this, like everything else, with two Jews, there's always going to be three opinions, I'm sorry to say. And that's the way it works. Um, different points of view. One day, all the Jews standing in Israel on the Beit HaMikdash were all going to say Halal Yom HaTzmah. I'm absolutely oh convinced. <laughs> Isn't that a scary thought? Uh, wh- a very scary thought. <laughs> what are we going to eat at the Kiddush afterwards is a big question because who's kashos are we going to rely on? not one of those sacrifices or the animal rights people are going to have a field day. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to think about that. But uh, it's Hashem. We get very messianic. So. It's going to be the fine grain from Shavuot. I, ideally the fine grain, right? But no more matzah. It's got to be bread. It's, we're done yeah. with matzah. We're done with that. Oh, so for, Rabbi Pepper, if you'd be kind enough to send me the first sheet, I'll pass it on to all the... Uh, I, I, I shall, with greatest of pleasure, absolutely. And yeah. I'm just looking ahead to two weeks' time. What, what we haven't done, I need to say one more uh, presentation on the Book of Ruth, because we haven't quite tied it up yet. We got diverted with, with Pesach and now with Svirah. Uh, that will be and that will be a preparation for Shavuot. So I'd like to think in two weeks' time, the end of April, we'll send out. We'll, we'll do the. We'll do our diligence about whether it's 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 that day or the beginning of May. You know when it has to be because of calendar and all the rest of it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to finishing up the Book of Ruth because 
there's a there's a wow at the end. We need to do this. I really feel we have to get it done. Um, and Mitz Hashem, we we're, we're learning some good stuff here. I'm really happy about that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. Have a good night, everybody. And Chag Atzmut A happy Yom Atzmut to everybody. Have a good one. Tomorrow are all the barbecues in Israel. Uh, picnic. Right. Picnicking. Beautiful. Big, big day. Uh, wonderful. Have a good evening, Especially everybody. Especially after COVID, it's good. Have one here, too. You it's good. It's good. Yeah, you can have one here as well. Lila Tov. Lila Tov.